welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. Today's guest has had an absolute impressive career, including 30 plus ATP titles, two Grand Slam singles titles, a doubles Grand Slam title, as well as multiple Davis Cup wins. He was also the youngest player to reach the number one spot on the ATP when he was 20 years old. One of the best defenders and most electric shot selectors our sport has ever seen. He always steps on the court with fire and passion. And today you could say he's semi-retired and he continues to be actively involved with tennis, working with many top players and captaining the Australian Davis Cup team. And when we're lucky, we still get to watch him compete when he throws himself in the lineup. Some of you may know him by the nickname Rusty, which was given to him by Darren Cahill. And around here at Tennis Warehouse, we often debate that he has one of the best come on fist pumps in the history of the sport. Welcome, Leighton Hewitt, to our special Yonex Brandography podcast episode. No worries. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining. Now, first things first, a bit of an icebreaker because I grew up watching you and idolizing you. So I'm a little starstruck at the moment, but <laughs> um, I wanted to honestly say that we have debated your fist pump and tell us where that came from. And we are convinced that like the multiple 90 degree angles really give it <laughs> even more power. So where did that come from? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, I used to go to the Australian Open as a kid every year. I used to uh, get my parents to drive me from Adelaide to Melbourne to watch the Australian Open. And uh, there was a Swedish player named Mats Verlander. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a lot of success at the Australian Open and there used to always be this small Swedish um, group that would have their face painted in the uh, yellow and blue up in the crowd. And Every time Mats won a big point, he would actually do that signal up to his uh, fans in the crowd. So I started just randomly doing it at a few junior tournaments that I played and I was kind of emulating Mats Verlander and, uh, yeah, kind of just stuck. Um, after that obviously me uh, being English though speaking English I would always say come on when I did it Um, and then I sort of got known for it a lot more than Matt so when I see Matt now uh, he was always a role model and idol for me Uh, when I see him now we kind of joke about it sometimes because I sort of stole his thunder in a lot of ways (laughs) I love it that's awesome now many of our listeners are gear geeks so we wanted to talk to you specifically about some gear and first things first is why why have you always been a Yonex player? And can you remember the first time you even picked up a Yonex racket? Because when we think of watching you play, all we see is that Yonex in your hand. So what is so appealing about this brand? Yeah, well, it's uh, actually when I first started, I was using another brand in juniors. And then uh, I got the opportunity to try after I won Adelaide for the first time. Uh, in 1998, I just uh, lost in Wimbledon qualifying and I actually went to John Newcomb's ranch um, and I decided to just try a whole heap of rackets. So I had um, basically probably the top five or six different companies around the world sending me all their rackets, and I was at uh, Nukes Ranch in uh, New Braunfels in Texas there just doing a training week for about 10 days uh, before going and playing in Newport, uh, Rhode Island there on the grass, and I just tried all the rackets straight away, and um, the, the one I liked straight away was Yonex. I just felt like it gave me extra power uh, which I needed. Um, you know, I was quite young at the time. I would only just turned uh, 17. 
Uh, I was on playing with all the the men now on the tour and I needed a little bit more power. But the thing that also helped was just the control. Uh, It felt like it had a really good sweet spot for me. Um, I kept trying the other rackets, but I would always come back to that Yonex racket that I really liked. And uh, if you looked at my game back in the back at that time, ball striking wise, it was guys like Marcelo Rios, Richard Krychek. They were the main players using Yonex, and we were all very good timers of the ball, um, which I think that sort of played in part with the racket and the technology we were using. Nice. Something that we've noticed about Yonex is the craftsmanship and the quality and the consistency of their products is absolutely amazing and hard to compare to any other brand. Talk about what role that played for you as a professional player. Well, it was just a confidence that uh, I had in the company. And you could tell that from day one. You know, you pick up a Yonex racket and yeah, I know uh, they take incredible pride in every single racket that they're made. Um, they come out of the factory in Japan as well, which is totally different to basically any other company and where their rackets are made. Um, and you can just see that craftsmanship every time they, they make these rackets. And uh, that's something that you can be very proud of because, you know, when I'm going through rackets, I'll probably get them in, in groups of six at a different time. Um, and you probably go through a couple of you know groups of six rackets uh, throughout the year. But you always know when they're getting sent, they're going to be sent uh, spot on with the specs and and everything that I need. Um, so you know you get them strung up and they'll play exactly the same every time, which is just that added confidence when you're out there that you don't have to worry about the small differences uh, in a racket. Definitely. As your game progressed and your level continued to increase, did you find that you were craving something different from your rackets? Did you eventually go into a heavier racket? Were you in heavy rackets at the height of your career? And then have you gone back down to lighter rackets? Or how did your personal preferences change as you changed as a player? Yeah, I probably got uh, probably a little bit heavier. Like when I was first starting out, I was probably um, rackets were quite heavy compared to how they are nowadays. Um, but I probably, at the peak of my powers, I was using probably a fairly heavy racket, um, especially compared to the guys that are playing now. Um, as I got older then, I was sort of searching for other things. Um, my game was quite a flat style of game, uh, so there were certain areas and tried to tweak the racket a little bit to be able to get with the new technology a little bit more spin as well. Um, so I could still flatten the ball out and get that extra power through my shots and the way to court but I could also hit that high heavy ball with a bit more spin when I wanted to, um, you know, which you, you need all those different options, especially playing against different players with different uh, styles of game, strengths and weaknesses, but on different surfaces as well, uh, where I felt like that hard flat ball definitely suited my game, especially on the grass courts. Um, but then on, on some kind of bouncy hard courts and especially clay, I needed to try and get a little bit more shape on my shots. Nice. Now I probably need a little bit more power as I get older. <laughs> so I, I need a racket probably uh, yeah, a little bit more flexible now. Nice. Uh, then I was I used a pretty stiff racket uh, when I was uh, on the tour playing week in and week out. Um, yeah, a lot of the players pick up my old rackets that I have in the cupboards here uh, from when I was playing and they can't believe how heavy and stiff they were. Um, that's just how the game's changed and how technology keeps uh, improving as well over time. Totally. Let's talk to some of the mere mortals. If someone listening out there who doesn't have the same quality game that you do, maybe they're more of a recreational player, but they've never tried Yonex, what are a few selling points? Why should they get a Yonex in their hands? Well, I think the technology is in front of everyone else in terms of what they're trying to, to do. Um, it suits all 
kind of players, especially their range of rackets as well. Um, currently, I'm using the V-Core racket uh, in a 98 head um, size, but the I would say that's out of the especially the V-Core and then you've got the E-Zone. I think the E-Zone generates naturally a little bit more spin mm-hmm. um, off the racket with the shape, the the width of the racket on the sides as well. And I think it's easier to generate a bit more spin with that racket. So I think it's just about going out there and trying and finding which racket actually suits your game. But I think across the board, Yonex, uh, all their rackets complement players in certain in different ways. If you want that sort of flatter ball that you're hitting, uh, if you want to be able to hit the kick serve or the heavier forehand that's bouncing off the court, um, then it certainly can do that. But um, as we spoke before, I think the craftsmanship and, and um, you know, the, the small details that Yonex put into every single racket uh, makes it so important. And I think they're ahead of the curve technology-wise. For sure. You talked about some rackets that are good for players out there. We have a lot of listeners with some little ones, and I know you have three little ones of your own, and one in particular seems to be striking the ball amazingly well. I think he's only 11 years old, but have you helped Cruz find a racket, or did he do his demoing on his own? And what advice would you give parents who are helping their juniors figure out the best racket for them? Yeah, well, obviously, yeah, he was fortunate enough. He's always played with Yonex, obviously. And um, uh, I, I guess he he started out, it was more just trying to get the weight and the sizes right at a young age when he first started playing tennis. And that was so important. And and the Yonex people helped me with that just in terms of knowing the length and, and for his size and how big he was and not getting it too heavy at a young age. Um, so that was really important. But as he got older and a bit stronger, we just we gradually he just progressed uh, through the sizes, um, and then there was a big difference once he went to the full size. Just being able to have that extra little bit of power as well behind his shots. Um, so he's using he actually uses the E Zone uh, racket and the ninety eight head at the moment with the Yonex uh, Poly Tour string that I use as well, the Pro One Two Five. So we feel like that complements the rackets really good with the string. Um, but yeah, he, he, I guess he sees Nick Kyrgios as well, who's a person that he looks up to and, and Nick uses the E-Zone. Um, yeah, it was funny at the ATP Cup this year, Nick actually let Cruz hit some balls with his, his racket and it was so much heavier than uh, Cruz's, obviously, uh, with how it's customised for Nick out on the court. But um, yeah, that, it's probably going to be hard for me to change Cruz out of uh, using the same racket that Nick does. <laughs> he can swing the ball too. He is amazing. He's quite the player. Um, I was curious if there are any similarities uh, with you between you and Cruz as far as game style and personality on the court. Uh, yeah, probably personality. He seems like, um, you know, he, he wants to go out there and give you 100% uh, every time he's out there, which is important. Uh, no matter if you're playing tennis, sport in general, or, or doing anything in life, is is to try and go out there and and get the most out of yourself. Um, so yeah, he he's uh, quite emotional in terms of you know he, he plays with a lot of energy when he's out in the court as well. Um, but yeah, I think his backhand is uh, more similar to mine than his forehand. His forehand naturally has a little bit more topspin. Um, than mine. Mine was quite a flat shot, but I think that's more the modern day tennis player now. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully he, he's got a decent kick serve at the moment for his size as well. Um, I use my slice serve probably a little bit more than my kick serve back in the day. 
Um, but yeah, I'd say probably our back ends and, and probably just movement and game styles are quite similar from the back of the court. Nice. And do you have any advice to parents who might be coaching their kids or anyone that's just trying to make sure their kid gets to reach their highest potential on the tennis court? Uh, yeah, it's about still having a really good balance, I think, as a kid um, and, and letting them keep that passion for the sport um, alive. Yeah, it's a, it's a long time, especially if you're going to make it on the tour. Um, you're going to hit an awfully lot of balls uh, through your career. Um, so don't just put a lot of emphasis on junior results either. Um, it's about focusing on the big picture and, and you want them still to be as passionate as they are when they're a kid first picking up a tennis racket to when they're actually on the tour and, and enjoy that that time out there. Um, you know, it's a tough sport. It's a lonely sport at times as well um, where, you know, it's so individual uh, out there most of the year. So, you know, you want to keep that enjoyment level um, with playing tennis. Nice. Great advice. Speaking of passion and the opposite of lonely, I want to talk about Australian Davis Cup because every time I tune in and watch you guys, you guys have amazing team camaraderie. Everyone seems to get along. Everyone kind of gives each other a hard time, but like in a playful way. Talk to me about how it was being a player on this team and how it is to be a coach now for this team. Yeah, well, it was something I grew up with and um, I, I just, I used to always watch Pat Cash play Davis Cup um, back in the day when I was growing up and it was something that I always dreamt of one day getting the opportunity to play for Australia and wear the green and gold out there in Davis Cup. And uh, I got that opportunity at a young age uh, when I was 19. Uh, I couldn't have been luckier though with, um, or more fortunate with the captain and coach that I got to play under in my first uh, few years at Davis Cup. It was John Newcomb and Tony Roach who uh, they had such incredible tennis careers themselves but how passionate they were about Australian tennis and trying to help the, the next generation of, of great Australian players coming through. Um, so I was really fortunate to have them in my corner and they taught me uh, what it meant to play for Australia and the past greats uh, that played before me as well. And just always keeping that history and tradition in the back of my mind. Um, so that's something that I was fortunate to play alongside the likes of Rafa, Philippoussis, the Woodies, uh, these guys. And, and within the first uh, five years of my career in Davis Cup, we played in four finals. Uh, so we won two of them and we lost in two finals. And in some ways, you kind of take it for granted. Uh, because we were making so many finals and semi-finals back in the day, and, and you look back on it, you know, ten years later, and realise how bloody tough it is to to get through to those finals and give yourself those opportunities. So, uh, they were special times. Um, when I stopped playing, I uh, wanted to try and help out as much as possible with Australian tennis, and and I think the best way was leading and trying to inspire this next generation of players, similar to what Nuke and Rochi did. Um, was me being the captain and, and putting a group of coaches around them that would help these guys fulfil their potential but also understand the responsibilities they have of, of playing for Australia. And um, the, the Davis Cup has, uh, you know, the format's changed now. It's the first time last year that we played in the in the different sort of finals uh, where we were all together in Spain last year. And we came awfully close to, to, you know, causing some big upsets there. We got through our group stage really well. and We went down in a, in a really tight quarterfinal to Canada, which came down to the doubles. Um, but I feel like we still have a really young team that is still developing as well. Um, and all the boys are there for each other. And that's the main thing with any team competition is having each other's back, uh, being able to lay it on the line. And, and at the end of the day, 
you know, if everyone goes out there, competes, gives 100% uh, for each other, that's all you can ask. So we either win, we lose as a team um, and we have a bit of fun doing it. Yeah, it's definitely been fun to watch you guys uh, out there competing. And then I've gotten to watch some of the Australian guys kind of have chats all together and you guys definitely have the team camaraderie and it's so electrifying to watch on and off the court. So you've been doing a great job leading on that team. Yeah, no, thanks. It's, uh, yeah, it's one thing when you stop playing to actually work with other players and it's more trying to manage um, different uh, different players and different personalities in different ways and, and my, you know, trying to inspire but also motivate these players to get the most out of themselves and um, you know dealing with personalities and not just knowing how they tick on a court it's more what makes them tick off the court as well um, and knowing how they handle pressure and, and expectations so there's a whole heap that goes into it but it's something that I enjoy. And that actually kind of leads me into another question I had. You always had such a tough work ethic as a player. You're, you know, you're grinding, leaving it all out on the court. Have you found now being older as a coach, now you're a parent, that working with different kinds of players with different attitudes, you've been more attracted to hard workers? Or are you more attracted to more relaxed players? Or it's just got to be the right chemistry? Is there one play- type of player you really work well with? Um, oh, it's easier to work with players that, uh, I guess are the same mindset as you just naturally. Um, but you know, I still like the challenge of trying to motivate and inspire players that are slightly different as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to find different ways of doing that. Uh, so that challenges you as a coach and as a mentor to be able to think outside the box in some ways. Um, and I guess when, when I first came into the role as Davis Cup captain, not everyone is the same. So dealing with players' personalities and stuff is trying to get these players to um, peak in a Davis Cup match, but they all go about it slightly differently. And so you have to focus on uh, what they're actually uh, need to get out of a training week leading into a, a Davis Cup tie, which isn't always that easy. Um, but that's why, you know, I have a good group of coaches behind me as well that can sort of help me with that. Um, but yeah, I like the challenges of that. And and I think that's something that I can't always judge anybody on, um, their particular training schedule, because I think depending on bodies and your strengths and weaknesses as a player, depends on how hard you have to train in some ways or the kind of training that you have to do to, to get, uh, as, as best prepared for an event as possible. That makes sense. Now, are there any up-and-coming Aussie players that remind you of yourself? Oh, probably the closest is Alex Dimonor, Um, purely just game style-wise. Um, yeah, he's very quick around the court. Uh, he's a great counter-puncher, but he's also not afraid to come forward and, and finish points off at the net. Um, yeah, he's got that never-say-die attitude as well. Um, he's a kid in a hurry, uh, which is much like myself, I think, yeah, we always wanted to to get there as quickly as possible. Um, and you were going to do anything, uh, you know, try and do absolutely everything in your power to get there um, and and succeed. And I think Alex does that. He's he's well on his way now. He's uh, been in the top twenty in the world. He's uh, you know seeded at the majors. Um, but he's yeah, you, know, you you can't just rest on your on your morals now, you've got to go out there and keep improving and keep pushing yourself and look at the big picture and, and so far so good for him. Um, but, you know, there, there's different players. We're, we're fortunate we've got, uh, you know, Johnny Millman, another guy that works extremely hard, Jordan Thompson as well. Um, there are a couple of guys that I've, I feel like are, 
are trying to work towards getting their full potential out of the game. And, and then obviously Nick, um, who, who has all the weapons, he's just got to try and put it all together uh, on the big stage in, in the right moments. And um, he's got to, you know, for a Grand Slam in particular, he's got to be able to be able to back it up. And that's the hard part uh, in Grand Slams is every second day playing those best of five set matches. You were just talking about Deminar being in a hurry to get there. And I was curious, when you were accomplishing all that you started to accomplish at such a young age, was it something you realized you were doing? Was it something that took a while for you to kind of realize how impressive what you were doing was happening? And then also, I kind of wanted to talk about Adelaide. And I know that tournament holds a special place in your heart and your first title, but then you also got to play there this past year. So talk about all of those things real quick. Uh, yeah, it was um, it was strange. I probably didn't. Uh, you take it for granted a little bit. I was still playing juniors at the time. Um, even I was only fifteen. I got a wild card into the Australian Open qualifying um, event in the seniors, and uh, at the time I was really more focused on juniors. A few weeks later, um, mm-hmm. but uh, I was able to navigate my way through the draw, and I ended up qualifying for the Australian Open at fifteen. And you kind of have to pinch yourself then um, to think that you get an opportunity to play in your home Grand Slam at such a young age. Um, I ended up going, I drew Sergi Bagheera, who was, uh, had won the French Open a couple of times um, and went out uh, against him in, in straight sets. But, you know, for me, just the experience of being part of that, and it was, it was like I got a taste of it and, and I wanted to get back there and do it again. So uh, the following year, I got a wild card into the Adelaide International um, as a 16-year-old. Um, it, it, yeah, I only just sort of found out two nights before that I was getting the wild card because uh, it obviously depended on what other big name players were coming. They decided to give me an opportunity as a as a local young up and comer. Um, yeah, I, I knew I was hitting the ball well going into the tournament, but not in my wildest dreams did I think that I had a chance of winning the event. Um, I hadn't even really contemplated getting through to that later stage in the tournament. So I was really just focusing on my first match and, and competing as hard as possible and, and putting out a good show. Um, you know, I, I wanted to go out there and show that I could compete against um, against the professional players out there. Um, I drew, <laughs> turned out to be one of my good mates later on was Scott Draper. Um, so he was an Australian at the time, top 50 player. I was able to beat him in straight sets at night time under lights in Adelaide and it sort of all kicked off from there. Um, after that, I was I saved a match point in my second round against Mark Woodford. Um, got through that match and then ended up playing Andre Agassi in the semi-finals. And and for me, I still had posters up in my bedroom walls uh, at <laughs> home at my parents' house of Andre. He was a guy that I looked up to. Obviously, um, he was a baseline player as well, much like myself. Um, and I f- feel like he broke a lot of barriers, especially at Wimbledon, playing from the baseline on a grass court. So. Um, I remember being extremely nervous going out to play Andre, but uh, yeah, to, to look back on that a few years later and realise what you'd actually done, um, yeah, you kind of do take it for granted at the time, um, but it was pretty special to be able to, to win an ATP Tour event at, at the age of 16, um, and it really sort of takes the, the monkey off your back in some ways because you never have that pressure or expectation of when you're going to get your first title because uh, I always, already had it out of the way, so um, it, it was a great stepping stone for me. And then did you follow it up the next year and win it again? I, the next year I lost in the final. Okay. Um, and, then, and then I won it the following year. So 
Uh, there was three years in a row that I actually got through to the final. Um, so I lost to Thomas Enquist in the final of 1999. And then the following year, I beat Thomas Enquist in the final of 2000. So I had a pretty good run in Adelaide for a number of years. Um, they ended up losing the tournament. It got uh, relocated to Brisbane. Um, Brisbane put on a fantastic event. Um, but then it was great to see Adelaide get back with all the changes with the ATP Cup coming in and what cities were hosting that. It was just great to see tennis back at Memorial Drive in Adelaide, which has been uh, played such a big part of my career for so many years. Nice. Last question. What does the future look like for you and what legacy do you want to leave behind? Well, at the moment, for me, it's more about, uh, you know, legacy-wise, it's trying to inspire the, the next generation or continue to inspire the next generation of Australian players coming through and, and for them to hopefully fulfill their potential uh, and get the most out of the sport that they possibly can. And um, for me, you know, that's about the commitment to the sport, um, trying to motivate them to push themselves every single day that they go out there on the practice court to become a better player than they were the day before. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, uh, at the moment, still Davis Cup captain, um, really enjoying that role, just working with the younger players um, and dealing with that. And then obviously I've got uh, my own family as well. Uh, got two daughters and a son and you know Cruz are trying to help him out as much as possible but it's not always easy being uh, the father so he, you know he has his own private coach that I trust as well and, and spend a lot of time with him um, but then my two girls are more into um, you know dancing and entertainment side of things so I can't help them as much uh, with their stuff but it's more being a support to the girls as well. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. This was super insightful. Always amazing to listen to you speak. And I'm so glad that you're still such a strong part of our sport and encouraging and continuing to lead in tennis. No worries. No worries. Thanks for the chat. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and until next time, happy hitting.